You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Hey crew, this is Mark Hattenmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. Today let's uh, talk about seven old school combat conditioning no-nos. Actually, we'll probably wind up with more than seven as we riff off the original print article that we had in our blog, Indigenous Ability. I'll put the link up so you can go have a read if you prefer it that way. And of course, I'll say right up front, if you prefer just to not listen only or read only, you want to go ahead and start using some of these old school principles to kind of whip yourself into shape. Hell, wish I knew this years ago. I'm 57, best shape of my life, if you minus out all the dings to the skeletal structure that uh, all these years of uh, strike and boxing and grappling have put on me, but that's on me, wouldn't change a thing, I would just change how I did conditioning, would have changed every iota of it. Let's uh, move on to some of these. Uh, first is this brief journey into the land of, uh, it's going to be negative injunctions. As often as more instructed to know what to avoid is, uh, it's mighty time-saving. So most of the time people want this, you know, a top ten list to get to first. Well, we do that with the Black Box Cadre. Those, uh, you know, the people the subscription service, they come in there, they see all that. But often it's just as instructive to uh, pick up a book. It's not so much as, you know, how to make a million dollars. It's how not to lose a million dollars. And if you do those things, then you're well on your way to turning things around. So if you, hey, don't go into debt. Don't want to put your money into stupid stuff, things like that. We kind of do that and avoid the bad. Often we start, wind up uh, taking into the good area. It saves us some time. And again, as I said, 57-year-old me, and if I was privy to this wisdom years ago, yikes, man, things that be cooking with gas. Well, better late than never, right? Uh, injunction number one, hands under push-ups, meaning... Uh, from a bite, no, push-ups were still in for the old schoolers, but very specific and lots of uh, the way these things were approached with small tweaks. So from a biomechanical perspective, uh, the hands positioned directly beneath the shoulders contributes very little to chest development or actually chest stamina, but places more stress on the front delts. So if the idea were doing push-ups for chest, uh, not so much. That's not what's happening here. And then one might think, well, at least there's that delt development aspect. And that's, uh, again, there's far more efficient burners to do that job. The old schooler is about, you know, time-saving conduits. We're trying to build maximum bang uh, for the buck. We're trying to talk about using efficiency. We want to use uh, the least amount of repetitions as possible to get the job done. So if there's different ways to tweak this thing up and get it out there, and let alone the fact if you're cranking out 100 push-ups, going, look at that, I really did something. Old school thought is, no, you didn't, because most of those probably had to do with momentum. There's zero momentum in most of what's going on. If you're able to break the repetition even on a calisthenic, if you're able to hit, you know, break 10 on them, it's probably not been tweaked uh, for your maximum strength efficiency. You've either used momentum or there's been a cheat involved or it's just uh, it was time to progress on to a tougher way to get this done. High reps is not the way you're going to get this. Again, that push-up can be tweaked to return that emphasis to its original intention to chest development. And then you can follow that by a second tweak to finish that front delt once the prime target has been dialed in and honed. You don't want to burn out that delt first anyway because the chest isn't going to actually ever get uh, turned on for what you need to do. Let's go with no-no number two, which is flat push-ups. 
or two-thirds measure, meaning uh, the standard straight planked push-up, you know, where we see this absolutely beautiful ridge come up, stop. And most of you people think of a military push-up. Uh, even if one adjusts to the mentioned proper tweaked position, uh, which we alluded to in that first no-no, it would, this was still considered a pale imitation of a real push-up. You failure to engage this last one-third aspect was a head-scratcher to the physical culturist of yore. Uh, number three, straight-legged toes-to-bar or windshield wipers as abdominal developers. And we can also add into that class. We're talking about half-levers, uh, a.k.a. L-sets, whether you're doing them off the floor, off the parallel, it's, uh, piked toes-to-bars. Uh, anything, any exercise where the legs are locked and rigid, and you're kind of like holding that body in that piked position, you're thinking we're getting this really nice, clean-looking, Teutonic, disciplined look as we're raising those toes up. Uh, these were used by old timers, but not as developers, particularly uh, if you thought they were uh, targeting the abs. Well, they knew better. Any straight-legged levering was considered a feat, F-E-A-T. In other words, a display, a demonstration, but not as the developer itself. Uh, so, for example, I mean, I do dragon flags and things like that if I'm asked to. I never train them, and yet I'm still able uh, to pop them out because I'm using these other aspects uh, to train. And you would not want to train them all the time anyway because it puts a great deal of uh, shearing stress uh, on the spine. Old school thought, it was felt that the straight legs contributed only to a little bit of hip flexor engagement. And again, there's better ways and better options to engage that hip flexor, strengthen that hip flexor than doing this. Uh, but it was primarily considered a psoas muscle stressor, that P-S-O-A-S. And the psoas, again, the repetitive psoas engagement was seen as anathema, as the psoas is the only major muscle group that links the upper body to the lower body. The attachment runs basically, I'm giving you this broad strokes here, from the lumbar spine region, then it twines through your uh, uh, your pelvis and then attaches down uh, lower portion of the pelvis and the femur, the front. If we actually t you take a look at it, you can dial up an image of it, you see this twining position here, and you get this overstressed, uh, over uh, over uh, tensioned on it, and you leave tension on it, or you're trying to run to some overdevelopment of it, of it, you can see it actually tweaks and runs that lumbar pelvis forward and actually uh, yanks on uh, the lumbar spine. Uh, whether we're, we hear something called dancer's hip, uh, it can also be kicker's hip or soccer's hip, uh, or just back pain and stuff. Old school thought, they thought, uh, they thought this, this sort of straight-legged work led to postural deviation. So we're talking about actually pulling the, the posture out of alignment and back pain if engaged in too often or under the repetitive straight-legged load. So again, it was done you know, straight leg and all this for that nice clean line for demonstration purposes, but it was not an exercise in and of itself. It was a feat. And there were wiser ways to develop these areas and turn the burn on to what is desired. And you can still do hanging work, but it's not done this way. And the hanging work they were doing is preserving the spine, and it will absolutely improve posture. And confoundingly enough, it involves a partial point of absolute relaxation in a curious leg splitting position. Anyway, black box of tears can look forward to that coming up on the uh, uh, the the core battery, the abdominal battery. Uh, no, no, number four. Momentum is not strength. Okay. Now, stay with me on this. The clean, the jerk, the kettlebell swing, the kipping, pull-up, etc. were also classed in the feet category. Again, F-E-A-T. Now, using these feats as primary training was alien to old school thought. Yes, these things were done. Yes, people were trying to see what's your best clean, what's the best jerk. I mean, uh, let's say, uh, can we swing uh, this above? But the pure strength to build these, be it body weight or additional load, was built by avoiding momentum at all costs. So, yes, these were looked at, these lifts, everything we just talked about, were looked at as like, I'm going to get this weight from here to here, and you would do your clean and jerk. But the preparation, that was done seldom. Most 
most of the time was spent in doing nice, clean, pure, non-momentum work. And to get an idea of what I'm talking about, let's say that you do a great one-arm kettlebell swing with uh, uh, a 70-pounder. Now I want you to imagine, they say, well, I can do 50 of those easily and I'm not even breathing hard. Great. Good for you. Now let's take that same 70-pounder. I'm going to ask you to do one rep, but I want you to do exact same clean form, but I want you to take one minute on that rep. Now what? Exactly. This is what I'm talking about. If you're not able to do that same motion with one rep, at that let you know you're not truly using strength in these positions. You're using momentum. You're learning how to do good power from the bottom, pushing off of the feet and the toes, and using receivership in whatever uh, uh, load you're doing. So that doesn't mean you're not getting a conditioning effect by swinging stuff. But if we're making, a, we don't want to confuse the idea that oh, this is building my strength up. You go now. Once you found where your receivership is, uh, once you found out how to burst with it, you're actually getting more efficient about. Using using the momentum, but the strength doesn't necessarily uh, go up with that. So we're uh, old-timers, we're really good about uh, separating this is where your strength is built, and then later on we can apply it to the feats and making sure that we're learning receivership out of a, of, uh, of a great big burst of it. So their bursting strength was worked on as well, but most of your time needs to be spent on non-momentum work. Let's go to no-no number five, thinking that pull-ups develop the back. Uh, yeah, they do, but only partially. The strict pull-up, never a kip, never a kip, unless was performing a gymnastic feat, was more a position to move through when one was performing a gymnastic strength feat. The back was seen for what it is. The back is a massive interplay of broadly sweeping musculature. It is not this single plane of motion that we see on a pull-up. A horizontal bar was and is a go-to old-school tool, but what we think of as a standard pull-up was actually seldom part of the strength building roster. It, I mean, sure, it can build back, but it's definitely way, way down the list as far as a back developer. There's different ways to do this. You know, well, I just use it for climbing strength. Even climbers will tell you there's better ways to do this. You can have a look at the unleaded uh, back battery for uh, more on that. But just make sure, you, I'm not saying pull-ups are bad. I'm just saying make sure that you can do, uh, instead of trying to shoot for higher numbers, look for the one-minute rep. Make sure you can do that all the way through. And then uh, while you're feeling where the burn is, realizing, hey, I think my back might be a larger muscle group or a larger area than this. Uh, no, no, number six. Uh, chin-ups uh, develop the bicep. So people think, oh, if I do this, I flip this around, then I'm getting the bicep. Actually, the bicep engagement is quite minimal in comparison. It's still, the underhand grip is still about uh, back engagement. And again, as in our prior lesson, there are far more efficient ways to attack the upper posterior chain. And the same thing with the biceps. If you're thinking, well, I'll turn them over and get a little bit of a burn out of it, we're really thinking about muscular development on that. The engagement is so little. If you're thinking it's just for bicep, this is an argument against doing chin-ups just as a conditioner to play with. But if you're thinking this is what it's for, that ain't what it's for. Number seven, sled pulls build strength. Yes, but at a cost. Yes, it is one of the current flavors. But again, big pulls, big pushes, big drags were seen as part of the feet category and not as a go-to in steady rotation. And again, it was a f so we were talking, they would still be in competition or friendly or professional where you're saying, oh, hook it up to this wagon, see how far you can pull it. Great, there you go. But as far as this being done day in, day out, every day I'm going to do some sled, I'm doing forward and backwards, yada, yada, yada. No, you were still working on our other uh, steady momentum strength work, uh, leave the feet for the occasional sort of thing. It's kind of like preparing for the game by not playing the game every single day. Uh, and again, why about the, uh, the, the anathema of the sled? We'll get to the science later on this, but allow me to hint that almost all old schoolers, 
And the, they were familiar with draft animals. That is, be that yoked oxen, horses that plow, dogs pulling and travel on the plains, or pulling uh, sleds in snow. All these folks had firsthand knowledge of what steady and continual use of the sled or dragging led to over time. And if you start putting your mind to it, you might get a little ahead of me on this. And uh, well, I'm going to drop a wonderful study from the 30s and 40s that backed up what they at that time. And he said, this is why we don't do this every day or all the time. And I know a lot of people are pushing and turning and wanting to do it every day all the time. And right now, I'm feeling great right now. Good. But over time, there might be an hydrogenic effect out of that. Now, we'll delve into each of these over the time, as well as, again, that recent science that backs it up. Of course, much of what we just discussed here is covered each of the unleaded conditioning program volumes, which seeks to use these old school principles to build 21st century health. And might I add, when we're talking about health, yes, it's, we're talking about strength. We're talking about aesthetics. Yes, we're talking about uh, uh, cardiovascular, I mean, max, uh, max O2. We're talking about output. And we, wanna, uh, we don't want to really subdivide and separate them too much. But might I suggest uh, checking out any of our, uh, the, the podcast episodes on the conditioning or taking a look at the, uh, the blog site to help you uh, further get into this old school mindset. Or if you just want to go ahead and jump in feet first, take a look at the currently released unleaded conditioning programs. We've got the back battery out, the chest battery, and a few others. Obviously, there's more coming down the pike. And also take a look at the sliding interlock system to see how you put them all together because there's no single exercise that you should be hitting all the time. These things kind of slide over the top to kind of keep a confuse what we would now call muscle confusion. This is going on all the time. It staves off boredom. It allows you to get in there and do your three-on-one off as far as your training days goes and stay nice and tight on it. Now, this this is all information for our we uh, drug-free warriors out there. I'm hell. I'm not even talking creatine, because uh, this is what they were doing then, and that's where my, I live in my experiment. If uh, everything I've just discussed here, if you happen to enjoy pharmaceuticals, you can skip everything I just said. You don't need any of that. But if you're living uh, naturally, particularly if you're old like me and you got the injuries, uh, this is the way to go. Keep in mind, this is no supplements whatsoever. We're talking no Advil either. This is, remember the days? Well, I remember the days of thinking after you're training, you, you got to pop some Advil, you got to do this. We're talking about there's never any supplementation. If you need a weight belt, if you need a knee sleeve, if you have to pop painkillers afterwards, and we're saying we're doing this for our health, well, there's likely a problem there. If your doctor said, hey, here, I want to make you healthy, but it's going to hurt all the time. Well, that ain't it. So the same thing. Why would we choose a health modality that drags us down? When you want more information, see the links. Uh, why merely read about it when you can live it? Consider joining the Black Box Brotherhood. More information, uh, go have a look at ExtremeSelfProtection.com. Take care of yourself, crew. Sorry for stumbling that, but that's life. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, ExtremeSelfProtection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages if you like musics. <laughs>